Welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe, the podcast about the human experience. Jack Luck, welcome to the Center of the Universe. Thank you, sir. It's great to see you. I haven't seen you in a long time. You're looking good. Well, I try to stay active and retired, but doing a lot of different things to keep going. I understand you uh, may have turned a, a birthday that ends in a zero recently. Yes, <laughs> and it wasn't 50. <laughs> it was 80. 80. You're looking I, good for 80. I didn't know it was on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm happy you know what Facebook is. I'm pretty sure my dad doesn't know what it is. <laughs> oh, I can punch a certain button and I can see it. But I don't, I've never sent anything on Facebook, so you're probably better off. Uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you were born in Richmond, but basically have lived in Ashland most of your life. Yes, right? I was. You know, after three or four days, you come home to Ashland from from a hospital in Richmond, but and I don't remember which hospital it was, but of course my mother would know. But, uh, you, and your roots. Your family roots go back a long, long ways. Yes. Yeah. I would go back to my grandfather who, you know, started with the liver stable and went into automobiles and then different. It's been in the family for a long time. And, of course, Ross and Eddie Styles are there now running their things. And uh, I've gotten out. They let me keep an office down there and my computer <laughs> down there. So if I want to send an email to somebody, I go down and use my computer at the office because I'm more used to it but uh, we keep his office in a museum quality state <laughs> <laughs> well we're going to talk about, talk about Lux Chevrolet here in a little bit but uh, it was founded in 1960 so we can talk about it to, it goes back that far yeah what was the first car what were the first cars like that Lux Chevrolet sold do you know I, pro- probably Ross keeps on top of it a lot more than well, the, I did or I do. But. The first dealership was a horse and buggy stable <laughs> in 1905. His grandfather came to Ashland or knew Ashland from bringing livestock. Really? Up uh, 50, 301. He was in Caroline. They, they, mm-hmm. yeah. The original family was in Caroline. And then he, they knew Ashland from bringing livestock up. 301 to 54 to Ashland. Oh, wow. To trade and sell. And then they saw the need for the livery stable in Ashland to uh, board your horses and to rent out horses and buggies for transportation. Mm. And then, um, so 1916 was the first year they started selling Chevrolets, or James N. Luck started selling Chevrolets. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, so 1916. I guess they had what two models back then? <laughs> maybe, maybe <laughs> one. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. So when you were a little kid, I, I you football was big in your life. You, you played through school yep. all the way through college. What else did you do when you were a kid? <laughs> well, one thing I was brought up that my our house was right at the intersection of where the interchange is for Ashland Interchange exit. Off, and it, off of 95. Off of 95. And um, where Telcourt, where we moved in 1960, 1960, I was I only lived there for four years because got married in 64 and then we went off on our own. But uh, so I, I was living at the uh, called to Wolfolk House because the Wolfolks had it before we did, but it was. It was a pretty good-sized farm. It had 190 acres, mm. and uh, 
we had cattle and had a family that lived there on the place that kind of ran things. Uh, Raymond Tate was his name, mm-hmm. and uh, I've stayed in touch with the the Tates over all the years because Raymond's died and his wife died, and uh, they had a boy's name was Douglas, and he was about my brother's age and my age. So we, you know, we played a lot together, but uh, and we. We worked on the farm. It was my father. We didn't make a living from the farm, but it was just sort of like a hobby for him. And uh, uh, we got up hay, and he raised corn, and had black Angus cattle. And mm. we had we. I can always remember we had horses of some type of some kind to ride, and we were riding a lot. And that was in the country. <laughs> right now, it's you know mass blacktop everywhere. Right. But, we had, uh, it, it was, I think, a lot of advantages to being raised on a farm. You appreciate what you see and what you got. When you worked for a lot of things, too. Yes, we did. I mean, it, <laughs> I can remember uh, one time getting up hay. My brother, I, he was probably 13, 14, and I was two years younger. And we were out in the field with the tractor hooked up to the uh, trailer, flatbed trailer, and we were getting up hay. And uh, I don't know how it happened, but we got our sister up there to drive the the, the tractor, and she's like, she's five years younger than I am. <laughs> and that didn't go on. But it was, it's just, go, you're going straight down about five miles an hour. And all you, I, I told Barbara, I said, now, if you see a hay bale up there, you got to turn to the left a little bit. And... My mother came out and saw what was going on, and she just <laughs> went to pieces. So we didn't do that again. <laughs> how, how old was Barbara at the time? I guess she was eight or nine. <laughs> but that was just some of the things that went on. So uh, bales of hay, were, I mean, that's that's grown man stuff, and you were doing that as a, as a kid. Yeah, like. yeah. It was, you know, sometimes you, if it was... The type of hay, if it was straw, it was real light, and you could handle it yourself, but it was a alfalfa. You had two people, had, mm. two of us had to pick it up and put it on there. And I don't know why, it was just Jimmy and myself out there, and then Barbara came, but uh, it wasn't usually that way. Raymond was usually there running things, and if we had a, a big harvest of something, uh, somebody from the dealership, one of the, wouldn't be mechanics, one of the guys that washed cars or something would come out and help us. Mm. James Catlett, for one, he was always out to help and doing things. Did you, did you play any other sports besides football when you were a kid? What else did you play? Played all of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I got my athletic ability from my father. He uh, went to a prep school in uh, – Winchester, it was called Shenandoah Valley Academy, mm-hmm. and it was a military school, and uh, he was captain of all three sports, football, basketball, and baseball, and then he played semi-pro baseball when he uh, got, he never went to college, but he played semi-pro ball, and that's how he met my mother in Lawrenceville, Virginia, the baseball team had gone down there to play, and uh Somehow, I don't know how they hooked up, but they got hooked up and then they got married. So that's it. All right, Ross, you say something. All right, well, hold on. You said you played all of them. Back then it was football, basketball, baseball. It yeah. Was, there wasn't a fourth sport, was there? No. I mean, <laughs> you could play tennis. You'd go over to college and just play tennis, but it wasn't a team that you were on. They right. Just, no soccer, just those, no lacrosse. Yeah. Did they have lacrosse? No, not, not here. Yeah. But we had one – 
gentleman, Mac Barrett was his name. He was, a, I think he was a seventh grade school teacher, but he was our coach on everything. Mm. And uh, he was a great guy and helped us a lot. And, and uh, uh, but we, uh, I, I never kept up with the other two sports, but I, after RMA, that's where I went to high school. And uh, my brother and I went up there. <laughs> my father, I think, thought we needed a little structure. <laughs> so he sent us up there. His reason we ended up at RMA was that his college roommate's son went to RMA because mm. SVA, Shenandoah Valley Academy, had closed. So that's how we heard about it. But it's part of the Methodist uh, system. Right on making women's college, right on making academy, right on making college and I think Firm was part of that for one time, but so we uh, did that. Was that starting in ninth grade? Uh, I actually started in eighth grade. Had eighth grade and then nine, ten, eleven, and twelve. But and one reason we went up there was because there was no eighth grade here at Henry at uh, Henry Clay. You went from the seventh grade to ninth grade, mm. seventh grade to freshman in high school, and. I think he thought we needed an extra year maybe to do that. And it was a lot of kids came up there, PG, we called them postgraduates. Mm -hmm. They had graduated from their high school back home, and they came up there for one year of development physically or academically, and uh, they were good ball players. We, uh, we had some good ball players come through there. It sounds like your dad had an assessment that the structure would be good for you. Did you agree with your dad's assessment? No, of course. <laughs> but it was, you know, thinking back, it was perfect. I needed it, and I got it, <laughs> and I, I did well for my five years there. It's. Uh, I did not know that they did not have an eighth grade here. Here, back in no. Nope. So freshman year, that wasn't also considered ninth grade. That was just freshman. Freshman year, yeah. yeah. Um, Shara, my wife, who we went through school together the whole year, she she went from seventh grade to freshman high school, so she was ahead of me <laughs> one year in school, and I'm but a year older than she is, but uh, that that was what it was. And not long, I think her class was the last one that it wasn't uh, a, no eighth grade. It was when, when it, and of course when he switched over to Patrick Kearney, I think that's when they went to. The middle middle school, which entailed with eighth grade. Then we're her, we're Nene and Bob, my grandparents from mom's side. Are they still teaching at Henry Clay? Yeah, he was he was. I'm not sure about Nene, but Bob was assistant principal under Mr. Compton there for a while. But then they they both moved to Chesterfield schools, mm. and they moved to Chesterfield to live. And but the, they were in the academic world all of them and in on weekends he had choirs at churches different churches and uh, you know you don't make a whole lot of money teaching school but he right. did that for extra money he, he had the glee club for a while over around making college telling the story about how many generations of troxels were teach, <laughs> teaching the glee club well he my my father-in-law then his brother was in uh, Chesterfield County as, no, Henrico County, I think, as the uh, director of music for the county. And then my father-in-law was director of music for Chesterfield County. And then 
Shira's grandfather, which would have been my father-in-law's father, he was in music too. So mm. I mean, it was very. They were very musically inclined, and uh, Mark Troxel was Bill's brother, and they had a sister, and I think they called her Nene, and just like Nene, we, mm. but she was sang with a band same way up in the D.C. area for years and years and years. So. My grandfather, his brother, and their father all directed the Glee Club at Randolph-Macon. Wow. Different And bands. they did a reunion. Uh, do you know what year? 1990? Sorry. I, I have no idea. In the 90s, I think. And they brought them all back. Oh, wow. It was some anniversary of the, or some expose of the Glee Club. And they brought them all back. to. And there's my... I guess at the time he was probably ninety-two year old great grandfather mm. with the stick and just, just going, going <laughs> like like he like he remembered doing. Is your wife musical? Yeah, she uh, was in a combo at Mary Baldwin College when she was attending up there, and it was a, they had a combo and they played different places. They you know, it wasn't anything big time, of course, but she played the trumpet, mm. and uh, I think there were five or six of them in it. And, She's a whole lot more musically inclined than I am. <laughs> uh, so when, how old were you when you first played football? Paul, oh, I got no idea. I, you know, probably eight or nine or ten. We had a little league team, and we'd play. I remember playing Gunner Park and uh, teams out in the West End. Uh, I don't know what they went by, but uh, so it was eight, nine, ten. But the kids, we just had one team, and it wasn't an age limit. Hmm. I mean, you could be eight years old, and you could be 12 years old, but you'd play on that one team. Huh. So, um, but, you know, we did all right with it, I guess. Well, when Ross and I were coming up, and I need to mention that Ross is here, your oldest uh, son, and your oldest kid, period. Uh, <laughs> when we were coming up, it was the Vikings. Do you remember the yeah. mascot when you were playing in that league? No. don't remember what we were called. <laughs> Oh, the Ashland. So you played Little League all the way up to seventh grade. Yeah. And then, and when then, I, when and then I, went to RMA. When I got to RMA, they had four football teams, Mike, Midget, JV, and Varsity. I mm. mean, they had enough kids, to, you know, guys to do that. It, it's co-ed now, just like around making college is co-ed, but it wasn't co-ed when I went up there. And uh, like I said, we the Varsity-wise, we had some good teams. We had... My senior year, we had one guy get a scholarship to Auburn, one got a scholarship to Syracuse, one got a scholarship to Marshall, one got a scholarship to VMI. I mean, <laughs> some pretty good players up there to, to do that. And Were they recruiting kids to come there? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they let it be known, you know, come here for that one year of postgraduate and mm. develop your skills more. And uh, so we had pretty good time but I was I was up there for five years and came on up to it did you get recruited by anybody other than Randolph Macon yeah <laughs> got recruited by Hampton Sydney real strong and I almost <laughs> went there uh -oh. I didn't they, they were between coaches they uh and I forget the coach that just had just left but uh Stokely Fulton was the assistant coach I believe and uh, he and the athletic director wrote me several letters and recruit, tried to recruit me. I never went there on a visit, but uh, I was, you know, satisfied with Randolph Macon College, and it, uh, it that was back when you could still get scholarships other than academic for you know athletics. And 
I had gotten a scholarship. I think it cost me maybe fifty or a hundred dollars per semester to go to school there. But uh, I, I don't regret it. I, I think I really did, made the right choice. It's a great school. Were you recruited to play football at RMA? No, because I went up in eighth grade. Yeah, they so didn't. I, they didn't really know. <laughs> they yeah, and went Mike Midget JV. I, I played varsity for two years. I remember, and. Uh, was co-captain my senior year, and uh, we had a good team. We we were five and three, and then in basketball we were like fifteen and one. In baseball mm. we were fifteen and one. So <laughs> had lost five games in three sports for the whole year, which uh, it just indicates what kind of quality we had. Really good. What what did you, uh, position did you play in baseball? Outfield. Outfield because you were fast and you. you had... <laughs> I was not fast. <laughs> I can show you that. <laughs> My nickname was Ice Wagon. <laughs> ice Wagon is the slowest, you know, that would sell an ice and going down the road behind a horse cart. <laughs> I thought it was Yogi. Well, no, that was in college. <laughs> ice <laughs> Hey, Ross, did you not hear that nickname before? I am because if I if I had my brother and I would have probably <laughs> jumped all over that. <laughs> one. We, would have run, we would have run with that for all it's worth. Right. <laughs> well, now now Ice Wagon's come out tonight, so there it is. Yeah, for the world to hear. But this was back when you played both ways, offense and defense, and then no, you know, defensive team, then the offensive team comes in. You played every every down and. That suited me fine. Well, let's go back to baseball. Then we're going to spend a lot of time right. talking about football. Uh, playing outfield, could, were you a, a power hitter? Or were no. You? <laughs> I was a pretty good hitter, pretty good player. I was captain of the team, too. So I must have been pretty good, I reckon. But uh, I can't, you know, it doesn't stick out in my mind uh, like football did. I just You did that to get away from school. I mean, you could go to away games and. <laughs> You'd eat out and you'd do this and you'd do that. And that was about the only way you could get, get away from school was being on a team and travel a little bit. But we played schools like uh, Episcopal High School in mm -hmm. Alexandria and St. Christopher's and Collegiate and didn't play Benedictine. Virginia Episcopal School in Lynchburg. You traveled a lot. Yeah, yeah. All right. All right, so hold on, hold on. Ice Wagon, did that come up in football or did that come up in basketball or baseball? Probably came up in all of them. <laughs> it was probably more in football. I, 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 my best position was linebacker, but I played full, uh, fullback. But in that way, you did. I never broke through for any long runs, I tell you, but I was pretty good at three or four yards, I guess. Yeah, three, three to five yards in a cloud of dust. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> What did you, what did you, so football was your favorite. Yes. What did, what did you like about football? <laughs> I don't know. I just, you know, you talk to me and you say, you know, he's a nice, calm person and, you know, gentle, easygoing guy. But when I got on the football field, I was completely opposite, like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I, I don't know why, but maybe it was a competition, uh, what it was, but uh, I really got worked up. I just... I wanted to hit somebody on every play. I don't care whether they had the ball or not. And that's, that mentality 
wasn't good. Perfect segue. <laughs> because later on in life, I had my neck fused twice because of football. Mm. I had a knee replacement because of football. So, I, like I said, that mentality was not the best. <laughs> well, Ross may have mentioned to me earlier today that uh, you and uh, a referee may have come <laughs> in contact with each other. Can you tell me that story? Like I said, you know, I was looking to hit somebody on every play, whether they had the ball or not. And the play is right in front of me, and I wasn't going to make the tackle. I could see, but I could see somebody coming from a peripheral vision over here. So I turned around and unloaded on him, and it was one of the officials. And he grabs his flag, and he goes to throw it. I said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I didn't realize you weren't a player. And I didn't. Did he throw the flag? No, he didn't throw the flag. He, he felt held sorry. on to it. <laughs> I mean, he didn't have any equipment on. You probably <laughs> caused some pain. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, middle linebacker and uh, fullback, fullback. You, you're in contact on every play just about. Yep. And you loved every minute of it. I did. And, you know, if if they had the rules then that they have now about targeting, I wouldn't have made 10 minutes. Or I was going to say third play, you're probably out. <laughs> that's right. So, But that's, you know, things have changed. There's no question about it. Uh, was the describe the equipment back then? And I'm not trying to be funny. Ross and I played in high school back in the the 80s. Like the equipment wasn't great back then, but it had to be better than what you no, played. No, well, with. when I first went around on making college, we had uh, leather helmets, and I, the the first year I was there, they went into the plastic helmets, the suspension helmets, I think they called it, and we maybe the first year that were 50 50, uh, 50 percent plastic 50% leather but after the next year it was all plastic suspension helmets and good so you you played without a face mask no no we had face masks. <laughs> well what, well I, what does a leather helmet face mask look like just like on the the uh, suspension helmets the plastic helmets the same thing you mm. know, come around and um, but it, it's no question about what was the best that was for sure and right some one of my grandchildren said to me one time said J-Pot, did they have helmets when you played? <laughs> and I said, yeah. We, I mean, the, the shoulder pads now look like they don't have a piece of cardboard up there. But I know they're great in the technology of them. But right. we had pretty good size shoulder pads and, of course, knee pads and thigh pads and hip pads and all that. But, well, yeah, and then a lot of players don't even wear knee pads or hip pads. No, they look like they're going – Bermuda shorts out there on the field. Right, they don't cover their knees up. No. Even with their pants, yeah. It's different. The size is – the kids are faster, they're bigger. It's it's really scary. Yeah, I, I couldn't imagine hitting one of those guys. <laughs> Middle linebacker today, mm-hmm. and some of those guys are running so fast, and they're, and they're bench pressing who knows what and squatting who knows oh, yeah. what. Did you like offense or defense more? I like defense more because I could do the hitting <laughs> – yeah, because uh, when you're running the ball, you're everybody's trying to hit you. That's right, but that's all right. How many? Do you remember how many touchdowns you score at, at Randolph Macon College? No, I really don't. Uh, I, I, I don't keep didn't keep up with it. <laughs> I bet somebody did. I bet the the record's there somewhere. Got to be, I would think. You're probably in uh, Grand's book. We can. She has that big. Yeah, my mother kept it kind of a scrapbook, and sure, my wife contributed to it and I don't know where it is now it's at my house oh (laughs) (laughs) we should have brought that along that's right tonight uh 
What do you remember about college besides football at Randolph-Macon? Fraternity. <laughs> Which fraternity were you at? Lambda Chi Alpha. Okay. Lambda Chi had been banded from the campus, <laughs> been that way for 12, 13, 14 years. Some, uh, you know, what you're hearing in Richmond about the hazing and drinking, it basically that's what this one of the kids, after, this wasn't when I was there, it was much later, and um, had a problem with alcohol and had to rush him to the hospital. Mm. So it's been ongoing trying to, the brothers and, you know, we had a great fraternity. I think we had five Phi Beta Kappas my senior year. Wow. Uh, captains in three or four sports. It was a well-rounded, you know, I, I'm biased, of course, but it was a real well-rounded fraternity. We had brainy kids and we had athletes. and But that, that and of course, I... <laughs> You got your academics too. I was a history major, and I mm. I like history, and that's one reason I went into it. But did you always know you were going to go into the car business? No. When I graduated from college, I went to work for it was called the Bank of Virginia back then in the management training program, and that um, lasted about uh, six months. I guess I could see the handwriting on the wall. You know, if you. If you weren't from UVA, <laughs> some of the elite <laughs> <What>? schools. <laughs> no, that wasn't it. But uh, I just decided. My uncle, Joe Stiles, approached me. He says, you know, come on back up here. You know, i got a place for you. And get let you get some stock. And we do this. And this. I did that. And don't regret it. It's hard work. It's a lot of work. But it pays off. What? What do you remember? Go ahead, Ross. He had he had mentioned uh, that after the bank didn't work out, you thought you might want to get into coaching. Well, that, that's exactly right. I I was hoping to get into coaching um, out of college and coach football and teach history, maybe. But uh, and but we were restricted to the Richmond area because sure, my wife was in physical therapy school. And she had to stay in the Richmond area, of course, to go because she went to MCV. So I didn't. Uh, I put out applications for Hanover, Henrico, and Richmond City Schools, and I hadn't heard from anybody. And then I was getting a little edgy, and I was thinking, my father-in-law wants to know what am I going to do to make a living, <laughs> support his daughter, and uh, we. Uh, so I finally, the Bank of Virginia, I had uh, Melinda Luck's husband is David, was David Shepherson, and he worked at the Bank of Virginia, and he got after me. He says, come on down here and apply for this management training program. So I, I did that, and then so I, the rest is history, I guess. Wasn't your thing? Uh, wasn't my thing, no. Being inside and... It was all right meeting the people. I enjoyed that, but I didn't. wasn't my thing. What year did you graduate Randolph-Macon? 1964. 64. And so by 65, you're working for? Luck Chevrolet. Luck Chevrolet. Yes. Tell me about the first uh, few years working for Luck. What was it like? <laughs> well, we when I went to work there, it was where Hardy's is now. Oh. I don't know if you remember that. I don't. It was, well, my grandfather, you do this. <laughs> 
he when he first went in business, he was up there where uh, the livery stable was over where the rescue squad is. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe where the, he opened his first place was right across the street from the theater, right in that area. And then he moved down to Route 1. And uh, also, you know, he had a Exxon Esso gas station there, uh, pumps. And, of course, Route 1 was the from Maine to Florida, you went down Route 1. So it was a really busy area, if you can imagine I-95, what it is, all that traffic would be on Route 1. But uh, it that was, was 1930. Yeah, all right. Up. And then, so uh, I can we had no air conditioning, of course, and I can remember sitting there writing on a piece of paper and perspiration running off my nose, <laughs> dripping on the paper, and it was it was different. No air conditioning. I can't imagine no air conditioning, uh, and no ninety five until what the late fifties, early sixties. Well, that's probably. how we got kicked out of our house. Uh, they then a change was going there, so they said y'all got to move. And of mm. course, they bought bought the place, but uh, that was in sixty. So, mm. uh, if you're heading ninety five north from Richmond, where you get off on the Ashland exit, mm-hmm. that loop was where the house sat. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. Right there. And the the farm went. Pretty much north on 95 to all the way to Jamestown Road? No, it didn't. Well, no, but halfway to Jamestown Road. We could walk back through the woods and keep on going and and hit Jamestown Road. So, now, did you all own the land before Francis Road went through there to Hanover Academy? Well, that that was belonged to us, the family. And my father sold off lots there in the Hanover Academy, but we... We've still got 67 acres in there uh, north of the academy, which one of these days might do something. I don't know, but it's all it is is a big tax burden right now. <laughs> well, hold, hold on. So you're driving north on 95. You're getting off the yeah. Ashland exit. So yeah. you're, you're taking the second exit. Right. And you're looping back looping towards right. town. Right on your right as you looped around was where the house sat. I tripped password. Hey, you, so you grew up there? <laughs> yes, that's yeah. where I grew up. That's unbelievable. 190 see, acres there. So you'll see the uh, daffodils coming up in the springtime. Wow. Where my grandmother planted. Jack, every time I get off that exit, I'm going to think of you now. Please put your hand on your heart. <laughs> my brother and I, when we were, I don't know, we were probably six, eight, ten years old, when we were, we would get out there on Route 54, Hanover Courthouse Road, it's called. And we'd have a wagon we'd pull behind us, and we'd pick up pop bottles out of the ditch, take them into town, and they'd give us five cents a bottle. Mm-hmm. Do it. That's I can remember doing that just to make some money. That's that was a decent amount of money back then. Yeah, it was. But uh, I don't know what. I th- I think the uh, you. The fact that you grew up right there where that, that exit is is blowing my mind, and the nickname Ice Wagon is blowing across my mind. Well, to, to show you how rural it was, to the west of us was Carter's. Um, they had a, a dairy farm there. Across the road from us, there was nothing there. It was just open field, and we used to ride horses over there mm. in that open field. and. Uh, uh, it, it just a rural area. Nothing was built up in there. Two or three houses along there, but that was it. And, and not a, not a lot between where 95 is now and Route 1, right? It was basically it, all open. Exactly, yeah. 
Wow. That's uh, <laughs> I, how, how do you – were you selling cars or were you doing more of the uh, behind-the-scenes stuff? When, you when, you had, when you're at the dealership, you do everything. You do it all. <laughs> you do it all. <laughs> were you uh, actually fixing cars? Did you, do you know how to repair cars? No, I'm not, I'm not much a mechanic. <laughs> but everything else? Yeah. It was like a family, you know, It was, and it was family, but – the guys in the back, and that's we are blessed. He can tell you about it more than I can. Blessed with good, stable mechanics, mostly, you know. And it's it's hard to keep good work workers nowadays and good help, but they've done a pretty good job of it. I mean, yeah, that's one thing we've been very fortunate through all this pandemic. We haven't lost any employees. That's unbelievable. And, we have people, and actually, we just hired two new mechanics, one last week and then one this week. I, so I, that's unheard of, right? Yeah, and not in our industry. We, I mean, it's it's like any service industry, contractors, electrical, plumbing, construction. You just can't find any help. Mm. So we, knock on wood, we are, we've been very blessed for from the history. I, I Visiting overall now. On, on Route 1 at College Avenue, visiting up at uh, where we are now, Route 1 in Ashcake. Moved there in 1970. Built that place. And then I can remember mechanics being, you know, everybody, we've pretty much been fully staffed throughout our history. I, I don't think anybody can, any other no. car company or, or any other enterprise yeah. or business I mean, can say that. We've had some dips here and there, but for the sure, most part, yeah. we've had some really solid employees. Especially in the management, back in the service yeah. department. It's just Ed Ayers, James Mask, they've been with, what, 25, 30 years? 40. So, I think yeah. Ed might be going on 40. It's unbelievable. but Well, it's a real family atmosphere. Y'all, yeah. Sounds like y'all take yeah. care of each other. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's awesome. But you are fully retired now. Fully retired. Right. Be three years in April. And they really miss me. <laughs> <laughs> they were glad to see me go. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Yeah, I don't think that's the case. No. Uh, all right. R- Ross, were you born in 68? 67. 67. All right. So you're about a year older than I am. All right. So when you when you and your wife started having a family, well, talk talk to me about your, your wife and your, your children. Start with him. <laughs> Ross, you talk well. I've been <laughs> running my mouth the whole time. You're the pater familia. You are the patriarch. I am the oldest of four. I'll you, start there. You, yeah. you can start with Kemp if you want. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> are, you want so, Ross and me to talk about something else? No. All right, what do you want to know? Wait, four kids. All right, Got I, seven grandchildren. I grew up on Francis Road my, until I was two, right? Right. So... We, they had a house, one of those houses on Francis Road did. is relatively new back then on the way to... Um, well, the first house that we, Academy. after we got married and moved out of Richmond, first house we lived in, we moved where the... What is that station? Sunoco? It used to be Amico, but yeah. Right, right there at the, at the interchange on the northeast corner. Right. That's where this brick house sat. And my father was going to sell it to some developer or something and they will tear the house down and I looked into moving it and I did now all I had to do was go back across the field didn't have to take it out on the highway at all because it was one vacant lot 
that I bought from my father on that road to Hanover Academy, and that's where they set the house, and that's where Ross was born. And then we, after Ross came along, we had Andy came along, and we figured we needed a bigger house, and we did. And uh, Steve Luck and Murray Luck lived on Mount Hermon Road, and uh, Chip Ray, uh, you don't know who Chip Ray is, but Dr. Ray's son, um, he was in real estate business, and he, Mary Luck, Steve Luck died, and Mary wanted, it was too much for her, so she wanted to move into town, and Chip Ray called me and wanted to know if I was interested, and I said, man, I can't afford that thing, and, uh, but we worked out, and we did, and we've been there since 68, I think. Same house you're in now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we've added to it and done this and done that, but almost ready to downsize now, but. I, I still enjoy getting out and working in the yard and things like that. Well, so three of your four kids, that they spent their entire childhood. That, 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 yes, in, that's in their, their home. House. Yes, pretty well. Yeah, since you, I was except, yeah. yeah, entire. Right on. All right. So Ross, the oldest. Andy came next. Then Mary, Chris, and then Kemp. Right on. What are they? What are they up to these days? I think we know what Ross is doing. Ross yeah. is a historian for Lux Chevrolet. <laughs> <laughs> Andy's in Oregon. He does social work of some type. What is it, Ross? It uh, screens for disability. Um, the county next to him, he's uh, helping folks out. Um, really enjoys it. He he taught for a while. He was a teacher. Like for 10 years, I think. Yeah, a special ed teacher. Uh, and he well, got... It was... Well, yeah. He, he started when he was... He first started out special ed. Then he went to a, a private school where they looped. Mm-hmm. With their class, so it went from first grade all the way to sixth, I think, and then looped back down to first grade. Oh wow! And he, he after his first loop experience, like, wow, I got to teach you little kids. <laughs> That's again. a shock to the system. Like, yeah, ah. yeah. Tell him how he got out to Oregon. Rode his bicycle. <laughs> oh, I remember. <laughs> and he and he stayed. He stayed. Yeah. Well, he knew he was going to stay, and it, his girlfriend went rode with him. Not two his of current them. wife. That is, yeah, that, that, that did it, though, I think, that trip out there. They didn't get married. He married a local girl from Oregon, and we've got one granddaughter that goes to the University of Oregon. And uh, I tell you, my grandkids are the smartest ones that ever walked this earth. They're unbelievable. That's Andy. Mary Chris is here in town. She works for Markel, and uh, her husband works for Hamilton Beach. They live west of town and then Kemp is the youngest one she lives in uh, Sterling Virginia and her husband works for the government like everybody else up there I guess Mm. (laughs) but uh, that's what we do we got like I said seven grandchildren so so Ross gave you three grandkids both two of his oldest have graduated Peyton is getting his master's Carla got her she get her master's Mm -hmm. and she's teaching down there and Guilford County. In North Carolina. North Carolina. Hope We're hoping she's going to want to come back up here and teach, but we'll see. And then and then his youngest uh, is like... Davis. The, the, oh, yeah. The well, man. Well, <laughs> well, we've been following him for a long time, and he's just... He's a great volleyball player, great person. We just enjoy being around him and watching him play and look forward to seeing him at Ralph Macon. I was... I didn't push Randolph Macon on him at all. I just let him make his own decision. But 
once he decided, I let him know how happy I was. Who was more excited, you or Barkley? <laughs> or it had to be Barkley. It had to be Barkley. Oh, that's funny. All right, so Annie has a daughter at the University of Oregon, right. Mary Cress. Has got one son, Jack. John Moore is his name. Um, his Jack's father lives in Harrisonburg, and it's his stepfather that lives here at National, married to Mary Cress, Chuck. And uh, Kemp has got two daughters. One is... <laughs> Running, started running cross country. She's a freshman in, in college, a nah, freshman in high school at Potomac Falls. And uh, she run, was running cross country this fall, but she had some problem with her foot or something. She can't run. She wasn't running during the winter season. But, uh, and they're, they're creative. They're just, they're, they're good kids. How many instruments does Emma play? Oh, my Andy's Lord. daughter. <laughs> the musical part of the family comes <laughs> true here. She can play, you know, five or six different instruments. Mm. It's unbelievable. She, she can hear a tune and go sit down on the piano and play it without knowing the music in front of her. And she's going to get her degree in music of some type. I'm not sure, but she's the only child. And, you go to every single Randolph making football home football game, even now. <laughs> well, for th- he's required to be there for thirty-five years. We've kept the chains. <laughs> oh, really? I knew Rob kept the chains. You're, you're on the chain gang too. With with Eddie Styles. Eddie Styles. Eddie, Eddie Andy, Rob Dupriest, yeah. and a guy that lives up in Carolina named Pig. Uh, we we've been doing it. For 30, uh, Melton. Eddie and I have been doing it for 35 years, and we've had some people come and others drop off, but I've got it's a Kiwanis project. The college pays the Kiwanis Club X number of dollars a year for I partaking of the uh, chains. <laughs> so it's a it's a project, a Kiwanis project that the, we've been doing for a long time. And so if you ever want to know what the other team is really like because that's where they're set up oh, yeah. on the visitor yeah the chain's line. always on the visiting side <laughs> dad what happened during this play oh that coach was mad i heard him <laughs> cussing up a storm you really can pick up what type of school it is yeah. but, you know when what kind of program they run exactly yeah who was it that told me and i guess sorry for for this one but who is it that told me some of the worst language they ever heard was from the the priest that was on the Catholic Catholic <laughs> University? Oh wow! It's like who who would, who would think that? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Mm. But, uh, so you're still doing the uh, the chains? <laughs> so far, yeah, Paul. We're still doing it. We, uh, you know, it's real funny. We, you meet with the headlinesman. They have. Two head linemen, one works on this side of the field in the first half, and then they switch. And the, the our head lineman for the first half, he'll come over and talk to us and say, y'all know all the rules of this and that. And, and, and now they come over and she says, I know, y'all, y'all know more than we do probably. <laughs> y'all started doing this when uh, I was in elementary school. Yeah. Well, not on the field that we are now, the, other, you know, the old uh, football field that ran east and west. This runs north and south, but over in that same area. Can you believe the football field they got now? Oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's it's great. I, 
we got a coach that you know he's just I don't know if you've ever met him, Paul. I, I've, but, he's been on this podcast. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you need to tune that in and, and check out the the interview with Pedro. Okay. Pedro is, is a great guy and a great coach, and he's just a big, big asset for the college. I can tell you. And I, he doesn't rub everybody the same way, but I'm telling you, the kids love him. He's been there a long time, too. 17 years. As yeah. I was uh, – on a board of trustees when we hired him and I was appointed one of four or five to interview the applicants and we, we narrowed it down to five and asked them to come see us in person because we had read all the resumes and all that and I remember when he came and somebody picked him up he was from Washington University at St. Louis mm-hmm. which is a well-known school very good academically yeah, yeah. and uh he flew in, somebody went and picked him up, I don't know who it was, and then we met with him the next morning, and, and I said, you know, did you get in all right, and everything happened? He said, yeah, but I had to get up this morning and run my five miles. <laughs> Here he is interviewing for a job, and he's <laughs> concentrating on running five miles that morning, and I said, man, this guy's a worker. He was, I think, the national assistant coach of the year, the year before we hired him. Mm. So I was... I'm proud of myself for being part of the people that got him in, and I, and I, I'm sure that he's been offered different positions from time to time because of his record and all that. But I think he he, he really likes it here. I think he loves it. Yes, he's raising his family here. Yes, yeah. that's right. And his son's playing for him now. You mm-hmm. know that? I did know that. Yeah. Yep. And uh, he's got great Kara's his wife, and she's they all part of the community and. Uh, I think when Pedro was coming up, he didn't have much of a father figure. And then when he went away to college, his coach became a father figure to him. And that's exactly the way he is with his players there. He's a father figure to them. And, uh, yeah. It's a family. It's a family. Uh, he, he doesn't encourage them to join fraternities because it's the football team is a fraternity right. as far as they go. And listen, I was out there. Uh, Ten days ago, 6.30 in the morning, I like to walk a lot, and I go over to the college and walk around and feel on the path. And they're out there. The football team is out there, 6.30 in the morning. I think it was 28 degrees. He's out there with them, and they're doing, you know, stretching exercises and this and just things to keep going. And if you think, you know, Division three football and Division one football and think there's a big difference when it comes to staying in shape and doing this and doing that it's not a lot of difference uh, I can tell you yeah the way he described his program and what they're doing during season off season they are it's committed year, they it's, are dedicated to it. yes and kids will come back and talk to him 10 15 years you know that after getting there to school and just coming in sitting in the office for 30 minutes and talk to him, and, and he prides himself on it, and he should. He loves staying in touch with him. Yes, yeah. he does. I mean, he's just a special guy. But the athletics in general over there, and I'm bragging a little bit, but it, they are just they're great. They they've done well in everything, you know, especially football, basketball, and baseball. Right, now. baseball went to World Series a couple times, two or three years ago, and basketball's number one in the country right now. And, mm. 
football was nine and one over the you know the last year undefeated that short pandemic year of five and zero but it's good good women's volleyball men's volleyball with davis softball. coming in softball with kevin profit coaching it's been ranked yeah probably the last five years i mean one. you have to have commitment from the whole school to do well athletically and so it sounds like everybody's all in. Yes, exactly. And I said something. I was at a meeting somewhere, and I said, you know, we, athletics are really in good shape. And I said, you know, it's we got one person to probably thank for all that, and it's Jeff Burns, the athletic director, mm -hmm. because, and and uh, that's right. He's and, he's a good one. Yeah. And Bob Lindgren, yes. supports Jeff and and the he president. <laughs> Is they they haven't always got the support. The athletic department hadn't always got the support that they they're needed, getting now. Yeah, it's or, or deserve from from the president's position. But when Bob Lindgren came in, that that's changed. Yeah. But you know, being the president of a school like Round Macon, it's tough because. And we just think in athletics, you know, we want the best for that. And that. But you got the academic part of it, you got to keep in mind that you got to keep them happy too. And that's where Bob Lindgren works it. He balances them out so well and he's done so good. Well, he has to worry about academics, athletics, the alumni. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And keeping Barkley happy. <laughs> <laughs> Barkley is something that she. Yeah, they better erect a statue to her when she leaves. <laughs> I always had the impression she was kind of the, everybody's mom. When they, exactly, when they there, she yeah. is. They come in and they unload on her and say, you know, Mr. Two Priest, you know, I'm just getting homesick. I'm doing this, and then Barkley gets on the phone with her with their parents, <laughs> and it just she's something. Now, Jack, you had mentioned you were uh, on the Board of Trustees and you were on the chain gang at the same time. I think you're the only member of a Board of Trustees that I actually worked the chain gang that I've ever met anyway. Probably. <laughs> Shara says I would pay them to let me come out there and do it. Shh, don't get, shh, don't get that secret. <laughs> but it's the best seat in the house if you like football. You know, you're right down the line of scrimmage the whole time. And if you love playing it and you love watching uh, it, that's exactly, a great place to be. Yeah. Exactly. I think you've gotten off demerit free pretty much up until the uh, Emory and Henry game, wouldn't you say? Do what now? <laughs> <laughs> you've watched your P's and Q's on the sideline. You, you've you're, you've remained calm. You haven't rooted uh, too hard for the home uh, team. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but you we know, were Randolph Megan was kicking Emory and Henry's butt a little bit. How long ago was this? Uh, this year. Oh, because they it was the last going, time they played. Right, they're going to D two. Yeah, they're going from D three to D two. Telling the story what the coaches were complaining. <laughs> I don't know. They they all complained. Well, they, what you told me was they were complaining that the chain gang was rooting too hard. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, they were rooting too hard because Macon was was winning, and they thought it was an unfair advantage. That's not an unfair. Advantage. Of course, we're wearing a Randolph Macon hat and a Randolph Macon shirt, or you know, and they know you know we we're from Randolph Macon, but. Uh, it just you, you get to see, like we said earlier, the, the type of school. And I won't say the school name, and I won't say how long ago this was. It was, you know, like 15 years ago. The school came in, and we were playing them, and uh, 
the, the language coming from the coaches over there mm. was atrocious. It was uh, it just, and they had girl um, trainers and uh, managers, whatever you want to call them. And I just said, this this is not right. And so I called the athletic director at the time. And I said, who's the athletic director at so-and-so? And he gave me a name, and I wrote him a letter. And I said, man, this was totally out of place. And especially you had, you know, women over there, girls over there, and subject to all of that. And I said, I'm not a prude. I've been around, you know, that that sort of thing all my life. And... Uh, Come find out next time we played them. That coach wasn't. It wasn't the head coach now. Right. It was one of the assistants, but the head coach could have put a stop to it. Sure. That's for sure. But uh, it just it just shows you what kind of school it was, and to put up with something like that. Well, once we stop recording, you can tell me which school that was. <laughs> I'll tell you. That. All right, Jack. We're going to give you a break. We're going to get more history about Lux Chevrolet yeah. from, from from Ross. Tell us more about the history of Lux Chevrolet. Yeah, it's uh, the oldest, one of the oldest family-owned dealerships, or continuously owned by the same family dealerships in the nation. Mm. And uh, it, we've just been real fortunate. We had the the modern facility, as as the Harold Progress put it, back in 1930, and then in '70 they moved up, or '71 they completed construction where we are now at uh, U.S. Route 1 and Ashcake Road. And just in 2011, we did a facelift and at the uh, behest of GM and their facility mm-hmm. image program. They said, y'all have had the same look since <laughs> 1970. They need to spruce that up a little bit. Coming to the new century. Joe, yeah. Joe Stiles about had a fit. And I said, well, Joe, if we do this, they'll, they'll kick in money to help pay for it. He goes, all right, tell me more. <laughs> So it's uh, yeah. When I I was I've been so blessed to work with family every day. Go in and for a while it was me and my dad, and then Eddie Styles and Joe Styles, who is my great uncle. Um, they're related. My grandfather had two sisters, Liz Stiles, Elizabeth Luck and Mary Luck, and. Elizabeth Elizabeth Luck married uh, Joe Styles, mm. so that's how the Styles clan is related. Got it to the Lucks. So Joe was my was my great uncle, and uh, came to work in 1990, and was fortunate. So it's father son father son. You know, Joe was the dealer principal. Eddie was there. Eddie Styles his his son, and then I got hired right out of uh, college from the University of Richmond. I'll, let me say something. say something. He was in Richmond senior year, and I said, Ross, do they come in and interview the seniors that for prospective uh, employees? He said, yeah, they do that all the time. And uh, I said, well, are you doing that? Because he hadn't indicated that he was looking to come to Ashland. And uh, he said, yeah, but I, I'm thinking that maybe I'd like to come to Lux Chevrolet, and I said, "Well, that's what you want to do. That's great. You know, I'm, I know there's a place for you here." And but he says a lot of his the guys that graduated the prob the previous year were flipping hamburgers at McDonald's and places like that. They couldn't get jobs. Because the economy was very good. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And the people interviewing on campus were MCI. I guess back then it was called MCI AT and T. They were just getting. Telecom companies were just becoming big. Yeah, Philip Morris, um, 
IBM. Right. I mean, it was huge, like Fortune 500 companies. And I just didn't want to be like an employee number at some big place. I just wanted to make a difference somewhere. And so fortunately, they they actually didn't have a position, the business manager position. The salesmen were doing all their paperwork and signing up customers and, and doing arranging financing. So that that's the job I took over. Mm-hmm. I sold for about six months. But well, believe me, he's an important part of the place, I can tell you. But I remember going in and my interview was uh, meeting Dad, I think it was one afternoon, and he just said, look, here's here's some positives about the business, here's some negatives, and here's what what we envision you doing. Um, we, need, we need help in this area. We think you could do the right job. Sure enough, it's the rest of history. Out. So who's the next generation after you? Next generation as Annie style, Annie, uh, it's Ann Randolph Styles Murray. Okay. That's her name. And uh, that's Eddie's youngest. Yeah. When you're middle so, child. Clay. Clay's the youngest. Clay's the young, middle child. Middle Y'all saying Eddie, Eddie Gray? Eddie Gray Styles. Yeah. yeah. I saw Eddie today. Yeah. yeah. So his daughter, Annie, is uh, came in and she, was, she started doing marketing, uh, website, uh, some sales management stuff. And um, Mark Garagoshin was with us. He used to work at Moore Cadillac. He was our new car sales manager. And he retired, uh, I think, right three years ago, about the same time you did. Yeah. He's, he's... And um, Annie took over as our new car sales manager. So she's actually our new car sales manager. Techno whiz, ordering whiz. I mean, just... She's all over. Yeah. Multifaceted and just a huge, huge asset. Yeah. So as tradition has it, when you're the new person in line and in new person working at Lux Chevrolet, you get handed all the technical stuff (laughs) because it's generational. Right. 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 When I started, it was, we had the dumb DOS green screens Mm -hmm. and that's how we did everything. Then the internet became a thing. And I had to learn. You talk about learning on the fly. We had to. No online the, courses back then. Yeah. Well, we had a, a modem to send and receive all of our warranty work. Wow. A modem. And, I, and then all of a sudden we got a satellite. <laughs> and I remember the was transition. It, was it a big satellite? And it was a big as this basement right, satellite. Right, huge satellite. Yeah, on the yeah. roof. I remember and, that satellite. And that's that's how we did our communication. Mm. Um, and so then they had this big server that you had to align the satellite. Wow. So I'm like, how do you do this? So they sent us instructions. So I had two of my mechanics. Mike Schick was the, the lead uh, satellite mechanic, that technician. That he became day. a satellite technician. <laughs> On the roof. <laughs> and we had this old-fashioned... It might as well have been a can and a string mm. with people yelling from the office where the server was out outside and then up to the roof. You had to turn this thing to these two lines. It looked like something on, you know, that movie Predator where they got all those lines yeah. on this guy's armband. Yeah, yeah. It looked like that that's, on the server. That's and you had to get this reading that matched these lines. And so to get it, you had to adjust up and down, left and right. How, that, long, how long did it take you to get lined up the first time? 
all day. <laughs> not that long. As as a matter of fact, that they they the installers oriented it about where they thought it was. Oh, got it. So we just had to fine tune it. Well, why they didn't let the other guys fine tune it, I they have no idea. They should have done that before they left. Yeah. So, but that going from satellite then to internet and integrating all the you know, the different equipment and we had this massive rack of servers for our dealer management system and so it's been a a, a, a cool learning experience sure but it, it's things it's have really pain, changed painful there for a while but so when i start okay you new guy young guy yeah you get the computer stuff <laughs> so that, that was trial by fire so that's smart though so now annie's taking over that and it's like oh new girl you're happy but new, she's new just salesman. just it's way of life with her i mean that's it's it. nothing to it and it's just and she does a lot of it through her ipad mm. A lot on the computer, and it, but it's uh, it's been a blessing. And her dad will be the first to tell you. Did were you there when we had that big, humongous thing to print out checks? Yes, the line print. Yeah, the, the I don't I know what you call it. Was it was probably ten feet long. <laughs> All it did was its main. They had started to retire that when i when i got there in 1990 i think we tried to donate it to the high school and they they it was so far <laughs> to date it they didn't they didn't want it and didn't need it oh that's funny all right well here's a fun question and i uh jack i'm giving you a little more of a break Good. ross Thank what, you. what was it like having uh jack as your dad oh, growing boy. up it was uh couldn't ask for a better role model i mean it was honest dependable big heart i mean anywhere anything you need any of our school activities always there and you know it, it was tough um, the interview is is tonight is great to to get some of these stories because he's very humble and doesn't yeah. talk about himself a lot but his um i remember getting some stories out of his his friend billy wester <laughs> and uh, when when he was inducted into the Randolph Macon Hall of Fame, Billy Wester was one of the people that talked. He, he kind of uh, he and I were get, co-captain that yeah. senior year. He was center, right? He was center, yeah. you know, I was, and he, he played both ways. He played linebacker and center, and I played fullback and linebacker. So Billy Wester talk, talks about uh, colonel and end up retiring as a colonel in the Marines. Mm. Yeah, served in Vietnam. Oh, wow. Two Purple Hearts in Vietnam. <laughs> when he was giving his uh, dad's induction speech, or in, uh, pre-speech before he came and talked, he he said he remembered going to Randolph-Macon as a football player, and he thought he was big stuff. Billy did. Like, yeah, I'm a tough guy. He's like, I thought I was the cat's meow, big man on campus. And then he says this, 58 Chevy pulls up, like rock and roll music blaring, and this guy in sunglasses gets out, and he said he got legs that look like tree trunks, and he's wearing some cool-looking outfit, and it was Jack Lock. <laughs> so those are the kind of things that, you know, I wasn't able to see, but I can tell you this. Growing up, my brother and I would try our darndest Anytime we're out cutting wood, raking leaves at my grandparents' house, messing around the yard, and inevitably somebody would bring the football out. Mm. 
So we'd start running around, and Andy'd have the ball first, and I'd tackle him, and, and he'd, he'd start crying. And Dad's like, don't, don't hit him so hard. He's a little guy. So then I'd get the ball, and Andy couldn't catch me, so Dad would take me down, and Dad would get the ball. And you talk about a bull in a china shop. We were we were the glass. And no way, no way, freaking dad. Though. He would have the football. I'm wrapped around the leg. Andy's wrapped around the leg. He's still running. Shakes us off. So we're like, we come up with a, we come up with a plan. All right, we're gonna do this. It's like, and dad was like, what y'all got for me? And so he taunt us, and we come at him. He'd start running. Forearm shiver, stiff arm. We're laying on the ground again. Plan B. <laughs> but by the way, the name Jack Luck is a perfect football name. <laughs> is it? I think it is. It's it's one of the more solid ones. Yeah, but it has been a treat to go in and and work every day with with family. Yeah, true family. I mean, blood family. Yeah, that wouldn't trade it for the world. It. it I couldn't have asked for. A better job, a better environment, a better upbringing. You and I were talking a little bit about that and how the world's gone crazy today, but some of it is parenting. Yeah. And some of it is how we were raised and yeah. going to not, not thinking about, you know, a friend's color of their skin. They're just your friend. Right. They're your teammate. That's right. And that's parenting. That's yeah. the way we were brought up and uh, thankful for it every day. Yeah. Well, Obviously, we've done something right because, and, and Sharon and I talk about it all the time. You know, I said, you know, we talk about we've got friends over here and friends over there, and they've got children, and sometimes the children are not speaking to each other, they're not speaking to the parents, and they, and our kids just we, we talk to them all the time, and right. it's just natural, and it's we don't know how it is any other way, but there's a lot of other ways that people get pulled apart and. Like I said, I guess we did something right, and they're, they're doing something right with their children. Each of the grandchildren seem to be the same way. They get along with each other and speak to their parents. And I, I will tell you one lack of communication, that the, the, the communication chain gets broken easily. So you would think that, you know, having offices 10 feet away from each other, you know, with your great uncle and your cousin there working you got you got family news and you'd think that you know we'd kind of be everybody'd be the first to know well three of these guys my cousin my uncle my great uncle and dad would all know something and then i'd be the last to know out of all of our family so the whole family knows People that don't live in town. People that don't live in people in California knew. Especially with the internet. <laughs> and I'm sitting here and it's like, wait, what? What's just happening? Or what are we doing? It's like, oh, I'm sorry. Didn't your mother tell you? Like, no. It's like, why didn't you tell me? You see, I mean, I see you every day. Right. I'm around you. And then the so I call, called my mom. I was like, we're doing this or this is going on or what happened here? And she goes, oh, yeah. Didn't your dad tell you? And he said, no, he said, you would tell me. He said, well, I thought your dad would tell you. I said, you'd think, but let, let's let, let this be a lesson. And for some reason, it wasn't. I mean, I was always the last. It was a joke. I was always the last. No family news or That's any funny. kind of stuff going on in Ashland. 
But not anymore. Not anymore. Right. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> it's been mostly fixed. Right. So the night you were inducted into the Randolph-Macon Hall of Fame, what are your memories from that night? <laughs> uh, Inaugural class, wasn't it? No, was no. It? It was, I think it had started five or six years before that. Okay. But uh, only thing I can remember, one of the things I remember and uh, was that I, I, and I'm not much of a public speaker, that's for damn sure. But uh, I said something like uh, that uh, I had done something and somebody got after me and said, Jack, you're going to never get into heaven that way, you're acting that way. And I, my reply was my close relationship with two saints that I'm pretty much guaranteed <laughs> entrance to heaven when I need it. Two angels. Two angels, and that was I said right. that would be my mother and my wife, so I can remember that. And then I don't know what else I said, but that's been a long time ago. You uh, and you and Cher have been married how long? We got married in '64, so '58. Yeah, but see, we were in first grade together. I got a picture at home, and is of the whole first grade, and we went to Miss Ann Herndon's, which was like three houses up from the Henry Clay Elementary School, and she it was a private first and second grade, and that's where we both went. With a picture of us sitting there on the front steps to take a class picture, and I'm sitting behind her, and we're both smiling, and somebody got us, made a picture of that, and blanked everybody else out and just had me behind sure on that. And so we, I never dated anybody else but her. And, uh, because I went away to high school, and then she, I stayed home and went to college. She went away to Mary Baldwin, so we were, you know, corresponding and going back and forth and all that, and we got married the year I graduated. So you all have known each other 74 years, 75 years. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and only apart for, sounds like, what, eight or nine years. Yeah. Yeah. And you hear some people sometimes say, you know, we never argue back and forth. And I said, well, then you don't have a normal marriage because <laughs> we fuss at each other all the time. But it's never so bad that you can't make up and, and then go on and have a... And I think, you know, we just blessed with the kids we got and the grandchildren. And you're blessed with each other, too. Yeah, it's exactly right. It's part of it. I, you know... I tell people all the time that I'd probably be in jail if it wasn't for my wife because <laughs> when it comes to doing taxes, <laughs> getting all that stuff together, she does it, and I wouldn't. I'd just throw it all in a box and take it to the account and say, here, you figure it out. Oh, man. Well, Jack, it's been great talking to you tonight. You've uh, always been a big figure in in Ashland, uh, big figure at Randolph-Macon, and because I'm – your son, your oldest son, is a year older than me, and Andy's a year younger than me. I've always known about your family, and I'll, yeah. I've always had nothing but uh, very positive uh, thoughts about you guys. So I appreciate you coming tonight. Thank you, Paul. All right. Appreciate it, buddy. Yeah, ma'am. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd also really appreciate if you'd rate and review us. You can find us at scodopodcast.com.